In a world where people are famous for doing nothing, we're here to discover the ordinary individuals who take giant leaps to do something extraordinary. Welcome to Moving Forward. Welcome, listeners, to this week's edition of Moving Forward. I'm your host, Kristen Nepper. And this week, my guest is author Gary Zinderski. Gary is the author of Zen Zone and also Book of Zen. Gary, thank you for being here today. Thank you, Kristen. Love to be here. Well, I want to ask you about your newest book, Zen Zone. What? Tell us a little bit about it and what was the inspiration behind the book? Uh, the the original inspiration was really something to share with my team. Uh, you know, I work in, in business and marketing, and we had a number of people that uh, I think from time to time needed a little inspiration. So it started with a simple, basically internal newsletter, and they liked it. And over time, they actually shared it with other people. And before I knew it, I had a regular kind of calling to write one of these every single week. And I did that for a number of years. And after a while, you just kind of look back and say, hey, got a pile of good stuff, or I think it's good stuff. I do too. And, and, it, <laughs> and thank you. And it became, it became uh, fodder for the book, uh, the book of Zen. And then the Zen Zone uh, followed up on that. I had such good response on the first book that I continued it. Uh, the Zen Zone is a slightly little tighter representation of inspirational uh, teachings in terms of change uh, than the first book. But it's it's really along the same ilk. So I, I have to ask you, the Zen Zone seems to be um, very kind of steeped in Eastern religion or based in Eastern philosophies. Can you tell us a little bit about that influence on you and your background in that? Well, I wish I could say that, you know, I've spent a lot of time in Tibet and right. those kinds of places. <laughs> uh, that, that's not the case. I, I believe, though, that in Zen, just uh, the whole concept of Zen, Z-E-N, as opposed to Zen Zone, which is S-Z-E-N, that uh, the, the, the uh, acknowledgement of being aware of the present, you know, where Zen is of the now and the moment, uh, I think uh, there's a lot to that. And, uh, and I believe that actually the core of any kind of change is when you recognize in that moment is where you can actually change the next moment. And and the Zen Zone kind of follows that track. So yeah, there's some there's some definitely some Eastern influences, but there's also some some other spiritual and religious influences as well. I was born and raised a Catholic and went to Catholic high school, and I have I have some of those teachings ingrained in me. Uh, I think over the years, though, I've I've learned to kind of balance all of that and take take all of it into consideration in terms of how we communicate our our own spiritual paths. And I think that's in there. So you might you might see a little bit of Eastern in one story. You might see a little bit of Western in the next. <laughs> so that leads me to my next question. So would you consider yourself spiritual? Would you consider yourself religious? And what do you think is the difference between the two? I I would say I spiritual certainly uh, as opposed to religion. I I, I have uh, actually worked on missions uh, in in religions, and I and I think the biggest difference is they're much more organized about how you think and what you're supposed to be doing, and they, mm. they do wonderful things. Uh, whereas I think spiritual is a is a much more internalized uh, perspective on on your creator and and on yourself and the relationship between the two. And uh, I think you know all the religions are right because at the end of the day, what we believe is what we believe. And I can't say mine is any better than yours. But to answer your question, I think spiritual is probably a better track for me. Yeah, I like that. And I think no religion has a monopoly on truth and there are, you know, many, many paths to the same place. So I really I like that philosophy as well. 
Um, one of the concepts in your book that I picked up on, just probably because of uh, things that are going on in my own life, is you note that sometimes change takes forever and sometimes it takes an instant. And you had spoken just a moment ago about, you know, we when we're present, we do have the ability to select our next thought. But I wanted to ask you about the concept of divine timing and whether you believe in it and if you think there is a reason behind why things might take an instant versus a lifetime. And uh, what are your thoughts on that whole concept? Yeah, I, I have lots of ideas on that. That's a great, that's a <laughs> great <stop>. question. <laughs> I, I think there is, a, there is such a thing as divine timing. And, and I think a lot of times uh, we don't Sometimes something will happen that'll be a trigger that we won't recognize, and I I think like opportunity just might knock and walk away. Divine timing will continue to knock, and and mm-hmm. often we're just not aware of the of that calling. So sometimes you might think it's happening really fast, but it, it could have been a thought that you sent in motion long time before that has finally just bubbled up, and so I, I I think there's reasons for it because when things get aligned in the right way, if you're if you're feeling like you're really grounded in what you want to accomplish, timing is always going to be right for you. And if you feel sometimes that it's not, it's because it's not meant to be. That isn't. That's not to say that I think you just have to wait for destiny to take its course. Sure. I think I think you have to you have to move in the direction of what you want to go or where you want to go and. That you'll actually start to draw things to you, and then timing becomes serendipitous. And mm-hmm. I think that's the fun of life: is that you never know what's going to happen next. Oh yeah, that's a great perspective to have, isn't it? And I really love that definition of divine timing continues to knock. It's funny when I moved to San Diego, I had a job offer that I turned down, and the same job offer came up a year and a half later. And that was wow. when it kind of the brick over the head of like, oh, Kristen, you're <laughs> supposed to be there. <laughs> you know, you need exactly. to go now. Um, but I guess that what you said too also leads me to another question. So, how do you know? what is meant for you and what is not meant to be? Well, I, you know, that's a, that's a, another, you have some good questions here. Uh, I'm going deep today. <laughs> yeah, how you know, I think it's always such a personal thing. Oh yeah. You know, it's it's, a, you know, it's a visceral kind of reaction to it. I think there's always an emotional core to really knowing and people will say they can't sometimes articulate what, why they know, but yeah. they can feel it. And, and that's because so much of, of what's happening is, is kind of, you know, spooling around inside of us. It's in, it's in our psyche. It's in our, it's in our hearts. And it's not always bubbling up in an intellectual way that you can actually frame. It's, it's something that is just a feeling. So if you follow those feelings, and sometimes I, I hate to say this, we, we learn to kind of trap them and we just kind of follow a different kind of a drummer or a different path. But if you follow your own feelings, you'll pretty much know every single time whether it's right or not. I think that's so true. It sounds like you um, are a big believer in the law of attraction. Would I be correct to assume that? That's a, that's a, that's a yes. (laughs) (laughs) It's so interesting because I think um, that really hits home for me, what you just said, because I think especially as Americans, we really tend to be rewarded for intellectual ability and therefore tend to go with that and only that, therefore ignoring our intuition and our gut instincts. And I think we're the only animal that really does that. And I know when I've done that, when I have ignored what my body is telling me, that's when I've really gotten myself into trouble. 
I, I think that's a good call. You know, I, everybody has a little bit of a, of a telltale sign that they know something's not right. I mean, I, for example, get a crink in the back of my neck. I, oh. I know if something's not right, it just, okay, what am I doing here that's, that's got me off? What am I listening to that I don't want to hear? What am, I, what am I thinking about that I shouldn't be thinking about? Yeah. Uh, and so you just, I just got a little trigger mechanism that I, that I fall back on. But to, to your earlier point about the, the law of attraction, uh, so many things that, that come to us in life, we, we don't believe that is, it's our doing, but it all is. I mean, at the end of it, everything that we're doing right now, this conversation we're having, and everything that we've ever done, and actually, yeah. actually the whole universe has ever done, has got us to this point in time. And it's that collective kind of will that, that moves us all, and we're, we're kind of in a, in a sink uh, of, uh, if you think it, you can actually make it happen. I, I, I'll quote Mike Dooley on that, who's written mm-hmm. a number of books on it, was in the Law of Attraction in the movie, that yeah. thoughts become things. I, I really subscribe to that. I do too. It's interesting. So you mentioned just a minute ago, I kind of want to go back to this point, um, when you're thinking what you're not supposed to be thinking. I believe that to be one of our biggest challenges, especially in the time we are living right now. Anytime I, I have such frenetic energy, I think, around me. And I think all of us do in the sense that we are constantly tapped into technology. We are, you know, um, human doings instead of human beings, as one of my yoga teachers likes to say. But what do you do? What is the most powerful thing to quiet your mind and to allow you to really focus and get still? Well, you know, the, the best thing for me uh, is, is actually writing. You know, uh, this, this weekly kind of, I still write the, a new story every single week. It, 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 it allows me to kind of download what's happened, get in touch with what, where I want to go. And, and I can start to distill some of my thinking and some of my feelings on paper. And, uh, I think, you know, whether it's good or I think every week's a little bit different. Some stories are really yeah. good. Some are longer than others, but at the end of the day, I always feel better by doing that. It gives me a way to contemplate, uh, and I, the way I do it is I think about who's going to be reading this. Okay. Uh, it, it puts me out of myself a little bit and into the minds and the hearts, hopefully, of the people that are going to get it. And I'm trying to touch them. I'm trying to reach out. And that's and that in that sharing, I think, gets me grounded. Yeah. And, and it also kind of uh, it, it brings me whole and it gives me energy. Uh, I, I always feel a lot better. And if I'm not feeling really well that day or I'm off a little bit, if I start to write something, I'll completely turn around. That's awesome. I, you know, it's interesting because I think a lot of writers, they have a story they want to share and they might not really be considering their audience as they're writing it. It's just a way to, for lack of a more genteel way to say this kind of word vomit, what needs to get out of them onto the page. And so... You know, I know other people do think of their audience, but you're one of the first uh, authors I've heard to really articulate that. Well, that's that's my background. I'm also, you know, a marketing consultant, and you know, understanding your audience needs and wants and disposition is absolutely critical to success. And and it also it also gives you a really good sense of empathy, which uh, allows you to actually have an endless stream of stories. Because every time you can feel what another person's feeling or, you know, perceive you do, that's that's fodder for something new you can write about. It's interesting. I've never thought of marketing as an empathetic profession. Could you say a little more about that? Oh, yeah. It's uh, I, in fact, I teach it at, at UCI and, and I 
and I, we start with uh, the basics of marketing has a couple of different principles. One is almost every brand, in fact, every brand does, has a personality behind it that's driving it. And then the, the second piece of it is there's, there's always the, the physical attributes or whatever that might be of the product. But the third piece is the image of the user. And that is what in the heck do you want this person at the other end of this purchase cycle to think, buy, feel, and do? And how they respond to your messages will give you some insights into what they're really thinking. And the best marketers actually get really tuned into that uh, very quickly because, uh, as you as you as you know, we're so as you said earlier that we're so cluttered with everything that. Marketing has to really be atten- pay attention to what is it that's going to get you to stop and let this message in. And if you start thinking that way every single day for all things, pretty soon you're, you're pretty much connected to the rest of the world. I love that. I feel a lot of law of attraction in that. And I feel more relaxed just even as you're explaining that, because I think there are so many people, especially in sales. And when we meet, and I don't mean to, you know, any negative connotations, but salespeople do have a certain stereotype. And a lot of times you meet individuals who are aggressive or a little bit pushy, and you know that they have an agenda of their own rather than listening allowing, inquiring, and being receptive to your needs as the consumer or the demographic that they are targeting. Right. And and uh, if, if you don't mind me sharing a little yeah. anecdotal story uh, on how I actually got to be on this track. Uh, years and years ago, uh, I was in college and I had a girlfriend and we, we were roommates and we we decided that, you know, we actually needed to make some money, you know, <laughs> would be a good idea. <laughs> so I went down to the student union and I saw uh, an ad that said full-time pay, part-time work. You know, so I'm a sucker. I go, okay, I'll I'll, I'll go. And it was a straight commission uh, sales thing. And and we went through a, a rigorous training, got a lot of brochures to read, and it was selling uh, cable TV subscriptions door to door. Okay. And this is in Toledo, Ohio, which is where I was born and raised. And uh, it was a Saturday morning, and she's going, okay, go out and get them. You know, I said, yeah, I'm ready to go. And I go charging out there, and I spent all day. This is November in Toledo oh, knocking on doors. Yeah, I've been to Toledo in November. That's not a good thing. <laughs> yes, and at the end of it, I came home, and she's, she's, got her, she's waiting. She goes, okay, how did it go? And I said, we're going to die. <laughs> you know, uh, and I just was scratching my head because I just I was unsuccessful. And, and what happened is I, I decided to go back to the same places the next day just to find out what the heck I was doing wrong. And I had knocked on the door and I said, remember me? They go, yeah, why are you here again? I said, well, I just, I'm just, why in the world would you not take this product? And they said, well, it's because it's, it puts a big hole on the side of the house. I go, oh, no, it's just a little thing like this. I go, oh, okay, I'll take it. Next house. You know, why wouldn't you not take it? Well, it's cost a lot of money. No, it just looked this much. Okay, I'll take it. The point is I kept asking wow. why. I got to understand what they were really interested in instead of what I was selling, and it completely flipped it. Uh, the tail end of that thing is that I actually ended up that being my career call, and I've never looked back. I've been in marketing and advertising and branding forever since that point. Uh, and so understanding why is was really the key, and that's the key to all marketing. If you know why, you can own it. That. And the first thing that occurs to me is how brave you were to go back again in November in Toledo, door to door and say, hey, you know, why did you reject? Because a lot of times I think we get caught up in those types of rejections being personal. And for you to walk outside of your ego at a young age and say, I need to figure this out. I mean, that's pretty incredible and incredible success based on that. 
Well, yeah, I became the number one salesman. They hired me right out of college. I became the director of marketing, and we grew wow. to the eighth largest system in the country. And it wow. was it's so simple. I, I think I don't have maybe that, that uh, 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 courage all the time in all things because you do get tempered over time. Yeah. However, I think about that story, and I love telling it because it reminds me that I need to know why. Mm. I think that's such a powerful question. I know it is for me and it has been in my own life. What's driving my own behavior? Why are these my results? You know, why am I not turning it around? It it really is a very simple and I make fun of myself to my friends. I'm like, I know I sound like a six year old, but I have to ask you why. (laughs) Um, It really is the most powerful question on the planet, I think. Right. I agree. Hey, Moving Forward listeners, if you're enjoying today's episode, consider supporting the podcast. You can purchase a copy of the Corporate Clichés Adult Coloring Book or try out Amazon Prime or Audible using one of my affiliate links, which you can find in the write-up for any of the episodes at bemovingforward.com. Hmm. So uh, it seems to me that you, I would describe you, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, as a, a multifaceted entrepreneur, but in all that you do, you know, you write, you own a branding business, you teach. What do you believe is the key to your consistent success? I, I think I kind of locked into, and it starts with that story. Uh, yeah. I, I end up, uh, for whatever the luck of the draw is, in all, my, in all my days of marketing and advertising, working with companies and clients that are going through some kind of change. They're mm. going through a new product orientation, a brand extension, a line extension, going public, uh, going through a merger. And in that, I've, I've developed this, this kind of this way, this really simple way to get my hands around the edges and help them see how they can actually get from wherever they are to where they want to be. And, and it's just it's part of the practice that I do now. Yeah. And I, I found that it actually translates perfectly into, into individual brands as well. And, and the Zen Zone is really about that. It's taking those exact same principles on how you move a product and applying them to how you want to move a person. Mm, um, yeah, and and it, they they work every single time, uh, it, depending on on the level of enthusiasm you can get from the people you're talking to. But that's that's true for everything. I think, uh, as Ralph Waldo Emerson said, if it without nothing nothing great ever happens without enthusiasm. And so in, in the in the Zen zone, I try to you know why there's so many different kinds of stories is in each one of those stories might be a little bit different take that might just be the spark for that particular read for that particular day and that particular person. Uh, it's, it's because it's not, it's not something like a, a linear kind of how to book. It's a, it's an, it's trying to instill a what next kind of connotation. Yeah. And I like it. And I think that what you hit on, I mean, the, the only thing that is constant is change, right? And mm-hmm. the only thing that we can do when we are in a funk is shift our perspective. But I think again, you know, we're, in this country, I believe, we're over-intellectualized and then we're also told that just drive and be in action and be working hard. And sometimes you really need to step out of that box and slow down and assess the situation. And I think that's one of the hardest things for us to do. And it's a really good reminder in a lot of different, you know, different ways in the book itself. So I really like that. Well, thank you. I, I think we do we do get stuck in is trying to follow the path we think we're supposed to be on. Yeah. And if, if all you have to do is look at a at a bunch of children in a in a playground and see that they don't have any rules, they just out there. Yeah. And you know they're they're so tired at the end of the day because so many things happen. 
Yeah. Uh, whereas we get tired just thinking about what's going to happen. You know, <laughs> we get tired before we ever get to the office. Yeah. And I think a part of that too is we're consistently seeking outside validation. Is my client going to like this work? Is my boss going to like this work? Is my wife, my husband, my mother, whatever it happens to be going to approve of what it is that I'm doing rather than do I approve of what I'm doing and do I feel good? And was I lit up today when we, you know, yeah. Yeah. That is such an important piece. Uh, is that validation piece. I mean, we all love to get patted on the back and say yeah. that you're doing great. Yeah. However, it doesn't happen as much as we'd all like. Right. And it really, at the end of the day, doesn't matter. Uh, if, yeah. if, you're, if you're okay with yourself, then you're okay with yourself. Uh, right. Because even compliments, that's somebody else's, you know, perspective and opinion, you know, so if I tell you that you look nice in your sweater today, it might be because orange is my favorite color, not necessarily that that complements your skin tone the best or whatever it happens to be. So we need to, I think, realize that even when we do, whether it is negative or whether it is positive, it is only one opinion and a reflection of someone else. And so it depends on what we you know, value in that other person and whether or not we want to connect with them at the end of the day. I, I totally agree. I'm going to steal that from you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm going to use that. Um, so let me ask you. So with all that you have done, what is the biggest challenge that you have had to navigate? And what did you learn from that? I, I think that the, as a real easy answer, and it was, uh, it was going through a divorce. I, mm, I think I can was, relate to that. Yeah. And so many people have done it and it, and, and each and every one of them is different. Uh, and what I, what I learned what was difficult for me. I had two young boys at the time. Uh, and I, I think I got, I was angry about certain things and that kind of overshadowed a lot of my thinking, but I, I, I could see that my temperament was, was getting, it was getting inside of the psyche of my kids. And mm, I, I, yeah. I recognized, and I, I think the biggest thing that I learned or that turning point for me anyway, was that the best thing I could do for my kids was to love their mother. And, mm, and I yeah. shifted with that. That taught me a lot. It, it gave me uh, a way to kind of re-engage with my kids. And it, be, it became a really a great relationship. I, 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 turned up, I turned to other things. I started the business at that time. So I, I invested myself into a different kind of marriage in terms of growing a company. But, uh, but I yeah. was able to, by letting, letting my ex back into, the, into my heart, uh, actually bring us all together again. And we're still very close now, years and years later. Mm, that's a really good example because I think the re- most recent statistic I, I saw was 53% of Americans um, are divorced and then 67% of second marriages end in divorce. And so what that tells me is that we are not taking the time to stop, reevaluate and you know change our trajectory. We're just going in blind to the next relationship thinking it was our previous partner and that we're just going to put a Band-Aid over a gunshot wound. Oh, you know, you're good. That's <laughs> exactly right. Uh, we 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 kind of put the blame, the onus on on the other, and and really, until uh, you said it earlier too, if you're not okay with yourself, nothing else is going to be okay for you. Yeah. Uh, 
Absolutely. And that's just the way that is. Yeah. And you mentioned, you know, it's every single decision that we have made that has landed us to our present moment. So I was involved in that marriage and I, you know, made every single decision that left me on this doorstep. So I think that, yeah, I know I went through a very introspective time when I was divorced and it was very painful. And, you know, and I know why people don't do it because it's not the easiest path, but I know it is, um, is very, very much worth it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Any kind of commitment with another human, uh, is, is got high value and, and, uh, it's got spiritual implications and, but there's lots of us out here. So it doesn't have to be a one person. It can be lots of other people. Yeah, I know. And I know I was, it's funny you should say that because I was watching um, some of Esther Perel's TED Talks this past weekend. And um, she talks about, you know, how we are looking to a partner for everything that an entire village used to give us in past times. We're looking for our best friend and a romantic partner and someone to parent with and raise children. And that used to be, you know, done collectively in families or in villages. So it's no wonder. You know, when you take that perspective, that this does end. And she also mentioned we're living twice as long as we used to. So forever or for life is not 40 years. It's 80, 90, 100 years. I mean, it's just is so essential to life. People go through it. Yeah. Mm. So a little bit of a lighter topic. When do you feel the most free? Oh, you know, I, I read that uh, you were going to ask that question and, and I crossed it out of my mind. Uh, no, actually, uh, the most free I think for me is, is when I have some sense of closure, uh, meaning, uh, I have, I have a lot of things going on in my life. As you mentioned earlier, I'm doing different kinds of work and, and, uh, I, I look towards, you know, uh, kind of a, a putting the period at the end of a project or something. In fact, I, some of my best vacation times are when I'll go to a, I'll travel on a, on a business meeting. We'll have a good meeting. We'll have a good conclusion. And, and I always feel like at that point I'm, I'm let go. I'm not tethered to anything anymore. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm my freest. And uh, because I have so many different projects, I get that feeling all the time. So I, I don't have like a, a sanctuary that I go to or any kind of mantra that I call up. I, I basically, it's, it's actually seeing the results of, of my work and thinking and, and feelings uh, kind of come to fruition uh, and helping other people get to where they want to go. So I have to backtrack for a second. And I want to ask you, how do you achieve closure in your personal life when things might not be closed? And I'm thinking specifically about divorce and relationships and the you know topic we just covered. But how do you, because a lot of times it's cliche, but it's true, you have to get closure on your own. So do you have a method that works for you in order to achieve that? Uh, I, I don't have any one specific thing. You'll find in the book, there's a lot of uh, stories. I do remember, yeah, about, I do remember reading about closure. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's some stuff in there about closure and letting go. And I think, you know, the, the simplest way that it, maybe everybody builds from this core kind of concept is that uh, we, we have to kind of look ahead and, and say that whatever whatever we did before is not going to matter for what happens next. Oh, so and true. What, and and so if you can take this moment in time and, and just kind of draw the line and say, I'm going to write myself a new chapter. I'm going to be the same character in the book, but I'm going to change the storyline. I'm going to put myself in a different environment. And that kind of helps you kind of leave that whatever that was behind, if, assuming that it's a negative thing. The other part of closure is sometimes, as, as I said just a little while ago, 
you can you can actually achieve a great outcome for something or somebody, and that's closure as well. Uh, and to families and to divorce, to what we were talking about earlier, I think for me anyway, there is no closure. It's constantly fluid. Mm. I thought there needed to be, and it made me angry. But it, what it as it turns out, it, it doesn't matter that it doesn't hurt to be to, to love people that hurt you. Right. Uh, it's up to me. It's my choice. And sometimes just in that, in that switching of that thought to like, okay, I'm going to let this happen kind of gives you the peace, which is a, a form of closure. Uh, and I look towards that uh, a lot and, uh, it, it works for me. And I think in the book, like I said, there's a few stories that talk yeah. to it. They're all over the place. You might find one that works for you. Uh, and it, and, and every enclosure also, of course, is different every single time. And there really is no, I mean, to be absolutely correct, nothing ever does just close. It, it just gets pushed into another locker in a, in a place in our mind in our mind and heart. We can recall it anytime we want, but we put it aside. No, I think that's so true because energy, you know, cannot be created or destroyed. So you're always going to have that. It's how you perceive it and what you decide to do with it. And I love what you just said. It reminds me of The Course of Miracles and what Marianne Williamson teaches about, you know, every emotion, we can act from either love or we can act out of fear. And when people are acting out of fear, it really does, you know, allow you to shift that perspective and realize that they are just doing the best that they can. And the best that they can do might not be acceptable to me, but it really is all that they can do in that moment. And it gives you a lot of compassion. Yeah, that, that's an excellent point uh, to, to know that you can't really change what another person is thinking or feeling yeah. uh, and, and have maybe some kind of appreciation that it's coming from a hurtful, not a hurtful, but a, a hurting place of pain. Yeah. And, yeah. And a place of pain that, that makes them afraid. I mean, fear is just an amazing thing. It can just stifle any kind of growth anywhere, anytime. A great debilitator. And we all yeah. have. It is. We have, a, we, and we all kind of carry little pieces of anxiety with us. Uh, the 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 interesting thing though is that most of the time that fear is unfounded. Yes, true. And, and we just we just talk ourselves out of it because we're afraid we might fail. Yeah. Uh, and it's that fear of failure, I think, more than anything else that that holds us all back. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Well, one of my favorite quotes is, be kind. Everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. So I have to ask you, what is your battle today? Well, it's, uh, it, it's different than I thought it was yeah. going to be but when I woke up. Uh, <laughs> my, my, my battle is I'm, tr- I'm trying to reconcile uh, a, a number of different things that are going on concurrently in my life, mm. uh, which is both the one thing that I love the most is being engaged and involved with lots of different situations and people. And, and I've, I was in Idaho earlier this week and I've got some things going on on the East coast and, uh, I've got my phone ringing constantly. I love that. Uh, but I, what I'm trying to, what's, what's I'm trying to reconcile is basically how to kind of Act to our point earlier, get some closure to some of it yeah. so I can get on to the next step. Uh, I know we don't live in a linear world where one thing has to happen before another can happen, but a lot of times just in, in helping helping us kind of come to grips with making progress, we have to be able to compartmentalize things. And so in my day, which is a, a mixture of you know spirituality maybe and writing and also business teaching and, and learning, uh, I got to pick my spots and kind of get some get some pieces kind of on the shelf here that I can call complete 
and then move on to something else. That is an interesting point you raise. Do you are you a linear person where you like to, you know, put this to bed and then start something else? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> That's my struggle actually uh, you is that start too many I, things. I have right now, you'd be surprised. I mean, I got so many things opened up here uh, and I will bounce around. Uh, it's not always my best work. That's why when I, when I sit to write, I actually basically focus. That's why it's the most fun for me. It's the mm, most calling. Yeah. Uh, and, and the other stuff, I'm just, there's a lot of distractions. I let myself, like so many of us do, just watch the emails kind of totally. come in. Yeah. And and then we just start chasing after something and try to get that ended and closed off. Uh, but I and I don't really believe in linear thinking. I think you can you can leapfrog almost anything. You can come to a conclusion and reverse engineer. Oh uh, yeah. I believe I believe that's always a possibility and it's it's an option for us. We don't always take it, but uh, I, I know it's there. Yeah, you know, I think for me, it's interesting because when you were talking about, you know, linear and having all these different projects, the image that popped into my mind. So my ex-husband, he would always have at least, at least minimum 10 books on his nightstand, all of them half read or, you know, about to be read, or maybe he would start <laughs> at the beginning and then work his way backwards. And then you would see my night, my nightstand, it would be one book and I would read it from page one to, you know, page 273 and finish it before I would start the next one. And I would, you know, do that very very succinctly. Um, but I've noticed as I have gotten older, I really have taken on the other tendency where I now have at least 14 books on my nightstand, all of them read to varying degrees, and none of them complete. And I wonder if that is a reflection on the way my personality has changed, where I'm just eager to learn and eager to grow, or if that is the you know frenetic world we live in now. I, I think it's the former. I think, you know, you, it's, a, it's a maturity piece yeah. uh, in, in a sense. You're, you're recognizing there is complexity, but you're also flexible. Yeah. You know, the, the more confident you get in, in who you are, you can pick up something here or there, any other place you want, and it all kind of has its own value. And you can mix and match and, and, and adjust. Uh, when, you, when you just go from start to finish all the way through, I mean, I, there's something to be said for that in terms of focus and deep diving and knowledge gaining. In order to do that, though, you've got to kind of put some blinders on and, oh, and yeah. stay with it. Whereas, <laughs> yeah, the, the world isn't really like that. No. Now. So I think what, what you're what I'm what I'm hearing you say is basically you're you're kind of learning to be more a little bit more open about what comes into your life at any given moment, and that's being very mindful in the moment, which I think is is a real positive uh, trait. Yes, and it is something that you practice. It doesn't come easily some days, but definitely a practice. Right. Right. I hear you. Well, if our listeners want to learn more about you, how would they connect with you? Are you available on social media? I, I have a Twitter. Uh, it's at uh, Gary Zendersky. You can get me there. Uh, I have a, a new website. It's not quite up for zenzone.com. That's S-Z-E-N-Z-O-N-E.com. Play on the name. And you can email me at Gary, G-A-R-Y, at bookofzen, B-O-O-K-O-F-S-Z-E-N.com. And I'll respond to your email. Beautiful. And we'll have all of this on our website, listeners. Gary, thank you so much for being here today. It was a real pleasure. It's been my pleasure too, Chris, and I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And listeners, thank you. If you would like to learn more about Gary or any of our Moving Forward guests, please go to bemovingforward.com. That's bemovingforward.com. Until next time, I'm Kristen. Thank you and Satnam. Now it's time for you to move forward and discover the extraordinary in you. 
Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and BeMovingForward.com. All rights reserved.